Welcome to Picked Voices, the interview series conducted by faculty of the Paris Institute for Critical Thinking with notable members of the broader Picked community. Our goal is to present our community with a variety of voices across the spectrum of the humanities and critical creative thinking. For the listeners who are new to our podcast, at the onset of the coronavirus pandemic, the PICT faculty decided to reject the modality of online teaching, as we believe that critical and creative thinking best happens face to face. We are, however, determined to support our community through other forms of online outreach, such as podcasts and social media campaigns. One of the means through which we have decided to fulfill our duty as teachers and to support the larger community was by offering diverse contextualizations regarding what we are going through, questioning and problematizing what appears to be normal, obvious or inevitable. In some of the previous installments, we discussed the politics of the state of exception and the religious implications of our present state. And today we will, we will examine some of the communication strategies that we have been able to witness in the past weeks. My name is Christoph van Houten, and today I am joined by one of PICS' first and most faithful friends, <laughs> Professor Claude Monjon from the Department of Philosophy from the University of Malta, who has been interested in all problems related to communication for more than a decade. Hello, Claude, and welcome. Hi, good morning. Hi there. Good morning. Now, if we think about the vast field of communications, I believe that notwithstanding this vastness, all can agree that the first question that needs to be posed regards the great ambivalence, if not utter confusion, of the communications of, and I can say this without much exaggeration, of all political leaders during these past months. How can one, in fact, classify or even come to grips with the fact that pretty much all downplayed the perils of this virus just a month ago, calling it a simple or sometimes just something very similar to the flu, after which they all made a radical 180 degree turn, calling it a terrible disease that was even in the position to basically bring the world to a standstill. And now, with the occlusion of some countries, uh, when one looks at the numbers and hears a growing number of medical specialists raise doubts not on the danger of the disease, but certainly on the political reactions, it is not excluded that our readers will, in the near future, change once more their communication about this pandemic. Now, how should we interpret this undecidedness, even shilly-shallying of the political class? A political class that, by the way, has in the recent past been consistently backed and counseled by experts and spin doctors exactly in communication. We probably all have today, and this pretty much all over the world, a political class that has invested most in communication ever. And yet, if anything, we are faced here with what is, is nothing but a pure catastrophe, communicatively speaking. Now, how can this be explained? Claude, if it can be explained, and if I may add a small addendum, do you think any there will be any accountability for this toxic form of communication with the citizens? So thank you very much, and first of all, thank you and thank Pict for uh, inviting me for this conversation. Our um, pleasure. It, I always feel as if I'm among friends. Um, you are. You are. By way of uh, beginning, I'd like to point out uh, our concept of communication. Here we're talking about political communication. As you know, it's a broad concept. You know, So here we're focusing on the political use of uh, communication. And uh, from uh, your introduction and the questions you asked, um, 
It, what becomes apparent is that uh, communication within the political dimension, where well, there seems to be no ethical aspect to it. Uh, in other words, there seems to be a dislocation of uh, the, the realm or the sphere of ethics from the sphere of politics. For some, it might seem nothing unusual, but in today's world, with the world of technology and the information um, institutions that there are, it become, it's become more apparent, more blatant. As you mentioned, politicians seem to change their uh, messages. I, mean, I don't want to exaggerate from one day to the next, but with frequent with frequency. And it doesn't seem to bother them that a few days back they were saying something which seems the very opposite of what they're saying uh, at the moment. Uh, so uh, communication itself, now political communication, functions as a sign. It, it, it's a, a sign of the times. And it's, um, you could say, the world of communication, political communication, is is dislocated, disjointed from, from the real world, uh, in the sense that um, communication is now, nowadays conceived, articulated only in terms of, of utility. This reminds us of um, the negative associations made by uh, Plato, you know, which he attributed to the sophist, you know, where uh, communication as rhetoric there was basically a tool for manipulation, for manipulating others. You know, we all know Plato's critique of the sophists in, from the Gorgias, uh, where you know, he chided, he disagreed with the sophists uh, on the on this uh, ground, these grounds. It's, it's true that Plato then modified his position with the Pedros, where he thought that even truth needs persuasion. Um, but but the, the idea that, you know, communication is nowadays uh, an instrument, a strategy of manipulation seems to be the norm. An alternative uh, vision of communication is, it goes back, one can think of Aquinas, who thought that humans by nature are communicative beings, and the more we communicate, the more our humanity, so to speak, increases, the more humane we become. And uh, even more recently, uh, the Jesuit uh, Théard de Chardin thought that, you know, with communication, humanity might be united. There might be a, a kind of collective consciousness. I, I believe he called it the new sphere. And then he went on, okay, humans connecting with the divine mind and stuff. So, there are these ideas of communication, uh, case of Desjardins, okay, it's speculative, but visionary, positive, uh, humanity united going somewhere, as opposed to fragmentation, which the past years has seen, that now we're becoming more, unfortunately for me, more nationalistic. There are also theorists of communication who think of com communication, political communication, in terms more of uh, connectivity. Uh, I'm reminded of James Carey and his book uh, Culture as Communication, where he thinks that and he's, he was influenced strongly by John Dewey. Uh, communication is the gel that brings a community together. Um, and you could think of the world as a community, but instead we're being more divide, divisive. Uh, communication has this double edge to it. At the moment, it seems it's leaning on the negative side, on the division rather than on the cohesion, the sense of belonging, the sense of participation. I'm also reminded of Habermas, who, uh, as we all know, is the theorist of communication, uh, this book's theory of communicative action, 
your point about uh, this, you know, the, the way politicians uh, are wobbling in terms of their communications. Uh, Harbin was had divided uh, knowledge, uh, knowledge interest in terms of instrumental knowledge, instrumental easing, communicative and emancipatory. What seems to be occurring is that the sphere of communication uh, which Habermas considered as pragmatic, intersubjective, has been appropriated by the sphere of instrumentality, which is basically a, a form of knowledge, a form of, it would make communications merely as means to an end, in the same way as the natural sciences think of instrumentality. You have a goal, you want to achieve it. Now, communication is the tool, the means to achieve the goal of whatever they wish to achieve with their political agendas. In that respect, I think, we are really, uh, it, it's uh, bad direction, a negative direction, which uh, we're going. Uh, ultimately, all these uh, strategies in terms of the bigger picture, it seems to me, uh, you know, as, as we all know, the discourse of the economy has, is, is always, whenever you hear, you know, even now easing of the lockdown, or it's, it's always because they want businesses to reopen, because... The, the world of well, the capitalist, let's, let's be blunt, the capitalist world, the generating of money, profit, is, you know, kind of um, seeking to usurp communication. Um, politicians play to the, the whether, whether the, neg the messages are negative or sometimes positive, the underlying element it seems to be always the world of capital and, and profit as opposed to putting people first. Today's news this morning, uh, I was watching and uh, some one governor in one of the United in the States was easing the restrictions, restaurants opening, barbershops, gyms. Now, suddenly, uh, the American president was against this, where just two days ago, he was almost inciting people to protest against those uh, too severe restrictions. So when I talk about lack of ethical dimension, Understandably, if people are a bit confused because the, 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 the leadership is sending different messages. Yes, at first, the first message was that we should uh, allow businesses to reopen. And two days later, we're being told by the same person when, when this was happening that they shouldn't have been. One really is at a loss um, which direction to go to, you know, to follow. I mean, if you're an aspiring politician, you might think that this is the way. Uh, one thing which which also strikes me is that you know there is, seems to be you mentioned the, the media experts uh, me it seems there's a bit of a collusion between the political class the political cultures we live in and you know this specialized you know the media experts these are you know a new class of their own a new category of of uh, persons and uh, the, it, these experts seem to you know tell the politicians. Uh, terms of whatever the agenda is, you know, what to say um, and, and how to say it, how to deliver it. Could, could Again, I, I take it one step further, maybe? Sure. And Because sure. and, uh, what you say leads me actually to, to my second question. Um, yes. it, it seems that uh, uh, politicians and these media specialists uh, sort of have taken up Marshall McLuhan's adagium that the medium is the message truly to their mm. heart. Uh, true, uh, McLuhan, this Canadian philosopher and communication specialist, 
who formulated this phrase that the medium is the message for the mm. first time in his classic book, Understanding Media, the extension of man from 1964. He intended this as the main task for the study of media and communications, not the means by which one should start to organize communication, mm. as seems to have become the case. Anyway, what, the, what I mean is that if one is to look for actual content in the messages spread by the political leaders even today in this peculiar and extremely precarious time, then it is very often unclear and contradictory with what you just said with the previous communications or even worse, and which is almost uh, most of the times this, it's completely devoid of any meaning or so-called content whatsoever. So how, how do you think we can deal with this? Is the amount of void and contradictory messages, even when cited by experts, uh, not an incredible sign of not of, 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 uh, of, of understanding uh, the situation, but of a total lack of grip on this situation. Mm. Or if I were to be even a little bit more cynical, and this comes a lot more closer to what I personally think, can this all not be seen as an actual desire to not act? Yes, uh, what you think is very correct, very true. Um, it, it's uh, incredible how McLuhan's ideas were appropriated and be they became the norm, something which I don't think he it was uh, on his mind. Um, yeah, we all know how now it's become trendy to uh, communicate uh, on Twitter. So as opposed to the past where a politician has to justify his policies and stuff like and his agenda and his uh, ideas. Now it's one-liners. What do they sound bites? You know these these which you know which float around and you know and politicians posting that on Facebook. It, it seems really um, a, a, a disservice to the seriousness of the political office. Um, whether things can change, one wonders. Um, I mean, I'm not so much into technological de determinism, but uh, that obviously the technologies, you know, the mediums are going to condition, or at least for quite some time, uh, the kind of messages that are being sent. Now, because because of the abundance of the possibilities for communicating messages, as you said, there's a pro proliferation of messages, and frequently by the same persons, that are uh, contradictory. As, as you can imagine, viewers, uh, listen, the audience, many get confused uh, because, of, because of this, they feel, and which obviously generates more insecurity um, when the leadership is saying different things. Again, it, it shows, it's, it's kind of a sign of the times that uh, you, the, the, what, what was important in the past, the character, you know, the leadership, the character of the leader, you know, what, what virtue theorists uh, talk about is obviously not relevant nowadays um, the consistency of character and the past someone would challenge someone who said one thing then the other but you know it's probably been happened so many times it's become the norm that nobody bothers anymore in my view if one is in the world of communicating messages and ideas you know the the the, the theory of uh, paul grice uh, his conversation maxims, his rules for conversation would, would, would be a great model, probably be ignored, obviously, but, but they, they are a model of the way communication should be conducted. You know, have these four rules, quantity, quality, relation, manner, you know, how much you say, uh, what is relevant, 
how you deliver it, and so on. These uh, they're, they're fairly well known, but but those are at least guidelines for um, communicating with with others. Now this uh, on the question of this abundance of messages and the, the you know the proliferation and the often contradictory messages as a point of departure, tackling uh, discussing this issue. You know we're reminded in a way of um, uh, J.L. Austin, you know, speech act theory, communication is a kind of action. It's, it's considered nowadays a, a, a doing of something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when when the political class communicate, irrespective of the content, they feel they are doing something. Um, and sometimes it might seem, because it comes across as they're doing something, it might be a good camouflage, a good mask. They're in, in they're incapable of doing anything. The situation might be beyond them, and they're incapable of doing anything. They may be unwilling to do anything, but by by communicating, it, it it sends the, the the idea that it communicates the idea that something is being done. Mm-hmm. So communication itself might be a mask for non-communicating. Yes. The, and, the, form- the performativity of language. Yes, yes, not doing something by doing something. Yes. <laughs> It, it there could be the desire not to communicate the, the, the maybe the, because you know sometimes the one frequent uh, explanation I heard is that everything is so new it, it's this sort of thing hasn't happened probably since you know everyone's suddenly an expert on the Spanish flu um, <laughs> it's in, you know suddenly um, it has so the novelty of the situation makes people hesitant also in a way in part. This pandemic being a, a global phenomenon for a long time, you know, people haven't thought about universal problems. Uh, every country is interested in its own issue. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, it's, unfortunately, I've seen this pandemic is a, a feature, a universal, let's put it like this. And despite this, you hear different, you think the messages of political, the political class from different countries might be similar, but as we all know, there are some countries that think you should do so. Something there are different messages. You know, should you follow the part of South Korea, uh, which seems to have been things more in control, or you know, and there was that uh, nasty expression, you know, the herd. What was it? The herd. Herd, yeah, the herd immunity. Herd immunity. That's right. You know, <laughs> some countries thought this. So, so uh, w- once again, there is this fragmentation, the world fragmentation of uh, messages, which is, you know, one would have thought that um, there'd be a universal uh, kind of approach. And the World Health Organization, as we all know, some people have uh, dismissed it because of of political reasons, or it could be also being a bit the scapegoat of everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone, I say everyone, I mean the politicians, you know, easy to blame someone to deflect especially if perhaps you haven't been so uh, careful deflect the blame on others this is you know course said we're always the humans are always looking for someone else to blame mm-hmm. uh, but an institution that is worldwide like the WHO or could have been something else you know one would have hoped that some some this kind of a institution would be the leading voice in approaches mm-hmm. to uh, almost overriding, or at least advising, let's put it like that, the mm-hmm. politicians. But uh, again, this uh, disappointingly hasn't happened. 
And but there, there is one thing, if, if I may interrupt, there is one <laughs> thing that has been universal, and, and that's uh, the other aspect of, of communication, that's um, how mass media have yeah, uh, yeah. behaved in this situation. This has been quite similar everywhere in the world, uh, obviously with, with certain exceptions, but mainly it, it, they have followed the, the same pattern. And, 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 and also here, I think there is a lot to say about uh, in terms of communication. In fact, one should not forget that in the weeks when the virus was only creating havoc in China, there was this constant augmentation of pressure, uh, if one can call it like that, uh, put in act by mass media all over the world. The daily insistence on, on the rising numbers of cases of infection and the rising numbers of the new casualties, the craze ushered in about the contagious Asiatic, all of this caused an awful lot of, of heralding panic in the population mm. itself. And furthermore, uh, also, and, and, and still today, almost exclusively, they focus on the virus. There's nothing in the news bulletins or the news broadcast today except the so-called pandemic. It's either nationally or it's internationally, mm. but they only talk about this pandemic as if everything else uh, has stopped. Well, it, it's for a certain sense it has, but there are still other things going on. And, and also, I think what needs to be mentioned is those occasions when the mass media started leaking decisions by politicians uh, mm. to lock down regions or cities, as for example happened in Milan, and which then caused this mass exodus uh, twice, often of sick people as well. And uh, so again here, there, there's this some, some type of, well, I, I think some fingers should be pointed here. Um, but yes, it, it seems that, that they didn't, and, and just to continue, because it seems that they didn't learn their lesson, because yesterday, for example, I read that the blueprints of the second phase in Belgium got leaked to the press. So again, the press is leaking information that should not be leaked and, and, and is actually going against uh, the, the helping the population. So they're not informing, they're creating panic. So again, tongue in cheek here. Um, will there be, according to you, any accountability after this pandemic has come to arrest? What this whole uh, situation has magnified is some of the negative traits of the mass media. Um, again, before I keep mentioning uh, ethics, I, I remember even as a student, there used to be study courses on you know, mass media ethics. I have a feeling the, the, the lectures aren't uh, affecting the <laughs> students who join the mass media. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, what has happened, it seems, is the, the mass media, they've uh, taken over, you know, or rather uh, highlighted what uh, Guy Debord had written in, you know, we live in a society of the spectacle. Mm -hmm. So the mass media want to make a spectacle of everything. Mm -hmm. If uh, it's some politician's affair with some some other woman or something like this, you know. Uh, you know. Now, 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 the focus was uh, on the, the pandemic. And, and uh, as you rightly point out, you know, the leaking of uh, perhaps sensitive information, you know, th there's a line between informing the public, uh, you know, what you should tell them. And so, for example, there are cases when representatives, uh, the superintendents of health, you know, communicate with the public and give, you know, updates and kind of factual information, which, you know, with, to reassure people. But leaking information that creates uh, that creates you know uh, scenarios of panic that that surely is you know 
the worst, the worst of uh, mass media. Yeah, and you mentioned whether there will be an accountability. This, I think, unfortunately, the cynic in me, maybe it's my age, it seems that uh, once this is over, things will, or, you know, there'll be an attempt to return to things before, that the life, uh, you know, slowly, unless the whole world will change, you know, in such a way that uh, this kind of life will be impossible. But somehow, you know, the, the media, especially, especially we're talking about media that uh, are privately run, uh, not, you know, usually state-owned media outlets, uh, those uh, usually, you know, are employed by the state. You know, they kind of are instruments of the state, like that. Uh, whilst the private ones, these again, because they want to beat their competitors, because they want, you know, the more of a spectacle they make, the more people mm-hmm. will watch their station, read their newspapers, uh, and obviously um, make, you know, it's the audience numbers and this kind of thing. So, so that's uh, that. That's a bit uh, sad because ultimately they're not interested in being part. It's as though, you know, they don't consider themselves as part of the community, but as something apart from it. Whether they'll be accountable... You fear. Uh, I, I, I mean, so many things have happened in the past, and, you know, time passes and things get delayed and postponed, mm-hmm. and suddenly they... You know, and, you know, the media we live in, it's everything is the instant. Everything has to be immediate. Uh, so we, we use the media, which mediates to bring immediate th- things to immediate presence. Mm-hmm. There, there, there have been other, you know, everyone forgets there was Ebola in Africa and stuff like this. And mm-hmm. in, and ironically, and in part similar to what McLuhan said, you know, the, the media have created this world where everything, not only the media, to be honest, the, the capitalist system, you know, we buy cars that are only meant to last for a certain number of years, so then we have to buy another one. It's the thing with fridges and microwaves and computers. You don't update, they go. So we live in this world where everything has to be fast, has to uh, have a, uh, a short-term life. Mm-hmm. And same with media stories many times. At least I, you know, it's, it's the topic of the moment. Someone murders someone, then you know, interest is lost. and They move on to so something else happens. The moment is the pandemic. Once this uh, becomes the norm, the routine, it will take longer because this is more serious. There'll be something else, then, or some, you know, some tsunami in, uh, somewhere, and uh, so. Or the second yes. wave. This, uh, well, now, yes, now, now that that's true. You're mentioning now increasingly. I'm hearing, uh, you know, just when we thought, oh, maybe it will end, like we're beginning to get. Slowly, slowly, this uh, this idea of that now a second wave. Uh, we we should expect a second wave. When when someone responsible maybe d- d- speaks, then I would be more inclined to believe it. But uh, yes, and I I don't know if this is the the media pushing forward. It might be, but you know, in in some many countries, the media's are private. Uh, private uh, companies, and they tend to be politically biased, I mean, especially in, in places like the States, where you have stations that are explicitly endorsing certain mm-hmm. politicians. So if you hear it from one station, you wonder, is this an indirect way of saying what the political class wants to say, or is, or is it their own you know, investigation? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a sad thing, the decline of uh, independent uh, investigation. Well, thanks for this, Claude. Um, You're welcome. Thank you. 
considering that most of what we have said was, was rather negative, I think we should finish with a positive note. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'm sure you will agree on, on this note. Now, the note goes as follows. When people think, uh, as our current politicians and mass media operators seem to be thinking, that only extraordinary and panic-provoking rules can fulfill their plans, well, this means that they have given up or they have lost their faith in reasoning and in their own capacity to reason. And they are convinced that also the people who follow them don't use their brains anymore. Now, if the positive note is then let's not just take part in this. Uh, for, let, let's prove them wrong for the mm. umpteenth time and uh, let's keep our minds critically open. Thank yes, you all for listening. Maybe that might be the hope for for everybody that yes. uh, take a, take away from the political class and the media and return to the you know the world of everyday life and everyday interaction yes. to uh, to challenge these institutions. Exactly, exactly. So thank you, Claude, for thank you, thank you your for provocative me. considerations. <laughs> My name is Christoph van Houten, and I hope to be talking to you all again soon on Picked Voices. Thank you. Mm-hmm.